Welcome, my romance friends, to Confessions of a Closet Romantic, your little shame-free romantic recess where we play and gush and have fun looking at the best romantic TV shows, rom-coms, movies, and books on a different theme each episode. This is Poppy, and this episode is all about the childhood phenom, the sweetest sex symbol of the 80s, my first girl crush, the powerhouse that is Brooke Shields. When pretty baby Brooke Shields, the new two-part documentary about the life and career of Brooke Shields, came across my radar, oh, I knew I had to do an episode on it. If you grew up in a similar generation to mine, Brooke Shields was the girl of all it girls for quite a long time. So many Gen Xers, male and female, were in love with her beauty and her sweet, charming, sexy innocence. Well, we'll get to the appropriateness or not of that a little bit later. It's not an exaggeration to say her image in the Calvin Klein jeans ads in the 1980s and the movies she starred in as a very young woman helped form my definition of romance, or at least my expectations for romance, just as I was exploring my own sexuality and way of being romantically in the world. Oh, the shame when I think about how much I loved the Blue Lagoon. <gasps> You're all sticky. So what? Kiss me. Stuff, I can't breathe. Put out a one stop. <laughs> what are you doing? The director, Randall Kaiser, told a newspaper, quote, it's real. She's going from a child to a woman during the filming. They wanted to make it a reality show. They wanted to sell my actual sexual awakening. The audience could engage in erotic fantasies about somebody who's way underage. They could not recognize the transgression while they experienced it at the same time. I feel so funny in my stomach. Me too. The irony was I wasn't in touch with any of my own sexuality. I was raised Catholic. With sex, they sort of taught me, wait till you're married, you wait till you're married. And it was put into my brain. I had a lot of shame around all of it. My dad always tried to pretend that I didn't do any of the things that I had done. He just buried his head. I don't know if he ever saw one of my movies. Oh, I was raised Catholic and was pretty shy and innocent about sex and dating and men, and so was she. I had thick, dark brown hair and thick eyebrows, still do, and so did she. Unfortunately, that's where our similarities and physical attributes end. Remember her and Endless Love? I loved that book and I loved the movie. There was a vibe about her character that reminded me of all the girl crushes I had in high school. 
a kind of 1950s J.D. Salinger intellectual, arty, bohemian vibe with that passionate, romantic focus on puppy love and virginal sex. Her intelligent, sweet, warm groundedness still comes through in this new documentary, along with a really truly inspiring personal uh, growth arc. She was not giving exactly that impact that the uh, scene requires. So it was there and the camera was here and the partner grabbed the toe and twisted it and she screamed at, ah! Seth really kept grabbing my toe and like twisting it so that I had a feeling, so I had a look of, of sort of, I guess ecstasy, but it was, more angst than anything because he was hurting me. You know, his thing was the look on your face. It has to be you know, ecstasy. And I was like, I don't know what that is. I didn't want to appear stupid or untalented. So I just disassociated. It's like you, in an instant, zooming out, seeing a situation, but you are not connected to it you instantly become a vapor of yourself around something that's happening. Dissociation is a disconnection between the body and the mind, which protects both the body and the psyche, but at enormous cost. It's hard to feel in control of yourself because you're not feeling anything. I was really shut down after that. I thought of myself as just the, sort of the, the workhorse. They paid me, I did the thing, they sold it, everybody's happy. <laughs> you know, it's, it's transactional. As they point out in the documentary, what happened to Brooke Shields was absolutely overwhelming for a young child and then a young woman. She became a worldwide phenomenon practically from the time she was a baby, but definitely by the time she was 10 or 11 years old. For many decades, modeling was one of the very few ways that a woman could make a lot of money. And certainly from the beginning of advertising, the ideal female body type was um, curvy, often voluptuous. As late as the mid-60s, Hollywood was still working off of a sexual idea based on Marilyn Monroe, a bombshell, an exaggerated sexuality, but that was still an adult sexuality. Women who epitomized ideal sexuality were grown women. They were at least in their 20s, and they had voluptuous women's bodies. Marilyn Monroe, I think she was, what, a size 14 or something like that? Sophia Loren, Ava Gardner. They were grown women, and they were not children when they were presented as sexual ideals. A new movement for women's liberation is launched, and once again, protesters take to the street to support their demands for total freedom. We see Roe v. Wade, we see sexual harassment laws come into being, we see second wave feminism. This revolution, and it is a revolution, not a reform, is about humanizing both roles, not exchanging them. One of the responses of the dominant culture to the rise of feminism was the sexualization of little girls. It's almost as if we're told, okay, you're not going to be traditionally feminine, which traditionally meant powerless, submissive, dependent. 
we'll replace you with little girls. She's got a beautiful face. She has beautiful hair, eyes, nose, mouth, and a beautiful body. I mean, she's incredible. The modeling work that Brooke did started very cute. She looks very innocent, looks very sweet. Then everything changed. You can see the shift in how she is being presented to us. She's wearing fewer clothes. The posing has changed. The mood was shifting dramatically. And when you put a child in a very sexualized position, it sets up these attitudes that little girls are seductive, that they're deliberately provocative, that they're somehow going along with all of this. I didn't feel uncomfortable, nor did I feel embarrassed. You know, as a model, your body is just to be dressed and put out there. So I didn't have that awareness of my budding puberty, do you know, because I was years away from any of that. The matter of women and girls sort of displaying sexuality is really tricky. We want girls and women to have agency, but the perception of how that agency affects ourselves and how it affects the culture, it's not the same thing, especially when you're dealing with minors. It's not a fair game. I think Brooks is sort of like a work of art and like any beautiful painting. I think the world should enjoy Brooke and view her. And you yourself have said, and I quote, ever since Brooke was a baby, she's been encouraged to be sensual. So can't someone say to you that you are exploiting the sensuality of a child? Well, if that's all I was doing, probably yes. But that's not all I'm doing. It's hard to imagine now with viral sensations and influencers all over the place, popular people in lots of industries and little DIY niches. But Brooke Shields' popularity and influence stood alone. She was like Farrah Fawcett majors on a poster in every bedroom and dorm room huge. Charlie's Angels huge. She was on billboards, in print ads, late night TV, guest starring on TV shows, in movies. She was photographed at Studio 54 with Andy Warhol and John Travolta. She was in a platonic romance with Michael Jackson. Her gorgeous face and beautiful smile was everywhere. Photographer may publish nude pictures of Brooke Shields, photos that he took of the model when she was only 10 years old. This just came out in the paper. You decided that these pictures of you when you were 10 and you were nude, they now can be republished or something. How do you feel about that? It's hard to say. I mean, I'm just, I'm confused, you know, just like everybody else is, I think, now. I don't know. Things happen for the get best, I guess. It seems almost like a rite of passage that teenage girls are the ones who get their asses kicked in the public square. If we know that a girl is a tomboy, we know how to talk to her. If we know that she's a whore, we know how to talk to her. If we know that she's a virgin and she's pious and she's sweet and she's wearing a virginity ring, we know how to talk to her. If we know that she puts out on the first date, we know we don't have to give her any respect. It's really a question of, do I need to treat this person like they have any dignity? The answer should be yes, <laughs> no matter what, but it's not. I was hurt more by the, the breach of trust and friendship than I ever was uncomfortable about the nature of the photo. It was the way I was treated by the men associated with the whole thing.
It was as low rent, low class. There was zero integrity in it. And to me, that was so angering and hurtful. I mean, the entirety of my life over and over and over and over and over again. It was, she's a pretty face. She's a sex symbol. And that always just seared me because the nerdy kind of dorky person who was creative and intelligent was at the core of who I was. Her IMDb page is wild. From the time she was a young child, this woman has been a consummate professional and worked hard at her craft. We know this because she's still around and still employed. Turns out she's really talented and very funny, starring in a wide range of roles on stage and screen, up to and including Suddenly Susan. Remember that TV series? Her physical comedy in that was just mwah, chef's kiss. And the awesome, late lamented lipstick jungle. How could they have canceled that phenomenal professional lady squad in New York series? It was so sexy and smart and dramatic. Kind of like an updated, more dramatic and realistic sex in the city. I'm still mad about this. This woman, raised by a trauma-bonded-to-her single, alcoholic stage mother, the main breadwinner as a child for their little family, a young woman forced to grow up way too early and smart enough to get into Princeton, brave enough to be goofy and nerdy and silly in front of huge audiences, only now with wrinkles on her beautiful face? Well, I freaking love her. With a lot of famous women, there's always a sense that the public owns them and they have to behave in a way to make sure that the public doesn't one day turn on them. They can't just live in the world freely. They have to be put in some sort of a pen. All of that is rooted in anxiety about women having control. We don't like it. It really stresses us out. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what it's going to mean for us. We don't trust it. It has a larger purpose that is about really keeping society under a certain kind of control. The tendency to become the projection onto you mm -hmm. is very strong. Speaking is a way of uh, expressing agency. It really is. Sharing your opinion is a way of expressing your agency. It also makes you vulnerable. It didn't really occur to me to have my own opinions for a long time. I thought, just listen to everybody, you know, take what they say. She is your child, even though yes. Brooke becomes a woman, she's still your daughter. Yes, and that's hard. It's a hard... I think it would be harder for the parent. You're right, you're right. <laughs> I spent my life owing people things and doing whatever they wanted. And finally, I asked myself, who will I be if, if I don't allow that anymore? This documentary is basically the story of a smart, beautiful, talented, but traumatized young woman who grew into a warm, open-hearted, self-effacing person who survived a pretty crazy life with her sense of humor intact. 
It covers the heartbreaking moment when she tried to get her mother into recovery, her own horrible Me Too sexual assault with an unidentified man in the entertainment industry who sounds very much like you-know-who, which she speaks about for the first time. She talks about her platonic romance with a huge rock star, her brief marriage to a major tennis star, and her lifelong desire for a family of her own, eventually creating a healthy-sounding marriage with two gorgeous daughters, but first having a terrible struggle with severe postpartum depression with her first baby, much like my own mom had. You can't help but root for this woman. The documentary format is amazing. Interviews with feminists and cultural thinkers and cool friends like Alexandra Wentworth, who co-produced the documentary, Laura Linney, Drew Barrymore, Judd Nelson, and then Brooke Shields' own thoughtful, sometimes tearful, explorations of what it all means. Quickly growing platform and website. That's my own brand focused on well-being for a community that I really care about. The more I started talking to women over 40, the more I started realizing how many incredible pivots there were. Looking back, I believe I came through it in spite of a lot. You know, being reduced to this, being reduced to that. Many women feel that. When that's the culture that my mother struggled with too. I think everybody has a little like Brooke Shields narrative stuck in them because what happened to her and the way people talked about her and the perception of her isn't really about her as an individual. It's just about women. I don't see that a lot has changed. Young people are just working so hard to live up to these unattainable standards. They have to epitomize a certain type of femininity in order to be desirable to men. Everything else is sort of less valued, less important. Children are catapulted into the world of adult sexuality when they're very, very young by the kinds of images on social media and in films and all of that long before they can process it. How do you fight a toxic cultural environment? Every generation of feminism has multiple fights to have and this one continues. Oh, and I forgot this damn sexist kerfuffle. I was working with an agent at the time, and he said, you know, if you're, you should tell your story, you know, you should. And I said, nobody's going to want to hear a celebrity on a soapbox. You know, I have everything, and I get the baby of my dreams, and I'm sad, you know. He said, you've been through that, and you could help people. Brooke has written a new book called Down Came the Rain, My Journey Through Postpartum Depression. It's I decided to talk about the experience publicly because I was made to feel that somehow I was, there was the fault was with, with me and that it really wasn't that common because nobody was talking about it. I thought I was going to look in her and I thought I was going to see my soul in her eyes and you were going to look at your baby. And Everything think, that everybody ever says, it's the most amazing moment of your life and well, oh my God. I don't God. know when it, I, I don't know how many people are really telling the truth because I... <laughs> 
I think it gave people permission to, to, to feel these things and get help. She talked so publicly about something that um, had been really dismissed by some people, not recognized, not understood. And she brought it much more out into the open, really demystified it in some ways. You're right that he was holding our little girl. Chris looked optimistic and peaceful. Well, wasn't he lucky? I was bleeding buckets and he was holding on tightly to a perfect frowning angel baby. I stared at this glowing father-child image and was bombarded with feelings of jealousy, fear, and rage. There is a myth around the ease with which birthing a child and falling in love with your child and being maternal naturally to your child that came out of your body. And it's really a frightening thing to have the picture look different. This reverts to the mommy myth that every mother is inherently and naturally, you know, a, a committed, dedicated, you know, adoring and, um, uh, you know, accomplished mother and loves every minute of it. And of course, this isn't true for anyone. And I think when someone like Brooke Shields comes out and talks about it, it makes a difference. And it wasn't just about, you know, wallowing in her own self-experience. You know, she did it to, to let people feel okay. You know, and then that sort of became hijacked from her. There is no such thing as a chemical imbalance. Tom Cruise denounced her on the Today Show. The thing that I'm saying about Brooke is that there's misinformation, okay? And she doesn't understand the history of psychiatry. She, she doesn't understand in the same way that you don't understand it, man. Well, if, if antidepressants work for Brooke Shields, why isn't that okay? I, I disagree with Oh, that. sit down, Tom Cruise. For God's sake, the woman is an Ivy League graduate. According to clips in the documentary, thousands of women around the world rode into the Oprah show after Brooke Shields appeared to talk about her book and postpartum depression and said that her bravery in talking about her experience changed their lives. So there, Tom. Her book even inspired legislation around postpartum depression research. Yes, Brooke Shields is a beautiful woman who lived a life full of celebrity and pretty privilege, as, as Cara Delevingne talked about in the last episode. But she was also raised in a traumatic household, like many of us, was required to work her ass off from a young age, like many of us, struggled and still struggles with self-judgment, shame, perfectionism, emotional challenges, and broken connections, just like many of us. And so just maybe her survival can inspire us too. And this is how it ends. Oh, how Awesome are they? Lipstick jungle. I feel like it was like old people and gossip girl. Okay. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm not wrong. Yeah. Uh, slightly. You guys not just never are, saw any of my it's, earlier it's movies. You haven't seen Pretty Baby. You haven't seen Blue Lagoon. No. You haven't seen Endless Love. No. I will never, ever watch Blue Lagoon. Sorry. Okay. Why not Blue Lagoon? Because she's, like, naked. No, I see a pretty mm -hmm. baby edits on TikTok, and it makes me not want to watch it. Because it's, like, the movie itself is, like... that. This is nothing against... 
No, no, no. I'm not I mean, personally. the movie itself is like about something that's not okay now, right? I'm not disagreeing with you. It is a, it was a true story about something that actually happened in the early 1900s. Yeah. So that to depict that now it's, would not be permittable. That's what, okay, so. Yes, yes. I'm agreeing with yes. you, but it's important no, to make the distinction. Yes, I understand it was okay once, but now it's just like, oh, different. See, I never saw Pretty Pity. Is there nudity in it? Yes. Are you nude? I'm nude twice. Hmm. With my little 11 year old body. Yeah, That's weird. Weird. Okay. What's weird I about mean, that? This is nothing against the movie. I don't want you I, to think I, that. I, there's no judgment. I do not. But I'm, I'm interested in that yes. concept. What What's is weird about is that? that? During that time, it came out, and that was considered something that was like very well done, very well written. Like you were great <laughs> in it. Only in Europe. Only in Europe. Oh. Why wouldn't you be able to see that movie today? Why wouldn't that movie be able to be made today? I feel like it's just everything's changed. It's called child pornography, technically. Also, just like everything is different now. You do have shows like Euphoria where you know you have girls that are young playing characters that do go through sexual things, but yeah, I but just they're think not it's... eleven. They're all like twenty-five playing like sixteen. Oh really? Yeah. Like all of those people, they're like over twenty-one, like Sydney Sweeney's actually twenty-four. And so there wasn't really a negative like backlash. And she was she was old enough to consent to it. You were you were eleven, you weren't mature enough to be making your own decisions and other people signed off being like, oh no, she's fine. You, she, you can take her mm -hmm. top off, she's fine. Okay, then let me ask you about TikTok and let me ask you about Instagram. When I see, okay, by the way. How is that different from? You're like 16. Okay, all right, that's, a, that's and I my answer. I post myself in a bikini. I think it's because she's posting it herself. She's posting it herself. I'm posting it myself. Okay, so there's ownership of, yeah. do you look gorgeous? Yes. And yeah. You do too. Like, and you should feel that. It, is, that is that empowering? Yes. Yeah. Okay. You're creating your own self-confidence. Yes. <laughs> you're, you're, you've been invited to this dinner, you know. Yeah, I'm just listening. I'm learning. I'm learning from there. They're being so honest and articulate. No, it's good to hear. It's interesting. Would you have let us at the age of 11? No. Yeah. yeah. So why? Am I a hypocrite? Like No. You're, you weren't a mom then. Yeah, you, <laughs> you weren't, weren't a mom. Weren't a mom. You weren't the, uh... If you enjoy this podcast, I hope you'll tell a friend about it and share this episode. For more information and show notes, visit confessionsofaclosetromantic.com.